escape those four to eight inches that were promised earlier this week. And I would imagine the next two weeks will probably be uh, bring the greatest changes in nature of the whole year with green grass, leaves on the tree, flowers everywhere. I'm looking forward to it, aren't you? After our long winter. Have you ever had one of those episodes where you wake up in the middle of the night thinking about all the things you've got to do the next day? Things you have to do at the office or at school or at home, household chores, family chores, phone calls you have to make, doctor's appointment, uh, auto repair shop, that friend you were going to visit, whatever. And, and you, you know, all these disconnected tasks that are pressing against your weary consciousness, keeping you awake, and you wonder how are you going to put it all together tomorrow and get it all done. And this is somewhat the way I felt when I first read this text today. Uh, Julian talked about this long list of things. And uh, I, you know, the Apostle Paul starts out, remember Jesus, and of course that's good. And then, then he goes on to talk about being in prison and being in, in chains. And then he talks about the salvation elect. And then he goes on and he quotes this, if we died with him, we'll also reign with him. And, and, and then he talks about quarreling in the church. And, and uh, then he exhorts Timothy to strive to be a, a good worker of the word of Christ. And, and then he talks about the false teachings of Hymenius and Philippus and uh, all the trouble they're causing in the church. And he ends up with this section on God's solid foundation. Scholars disagree as to what that is. And there's some somewhat uh, enigmatic, enigmatic inscription it contains. And, and I looked at all this seemingly disconnected series of things, and I thought, how am I going to put all this together in some kind of unified message? And uh, so I did what we do with the household chores. <laughs> we start selecting things out that we can handle, <laughs> and we leave the rest for some other time. <laughs> So I don't know whether there'll be another time for this passage or not, but I'm, I'm leaving a lot of things for another time. And so I, I focused in on three thoughts. First, keep your thinking centered on the gospel of Christ, verse 8. Two, consider the cost and reward of serving Christ, verses 11 and 12. And three, be prepared as a good worker of the word of Christ, verse 15. So I just took these four verses uh, and left the rest. Let's consider then the first thought. Keep your thinking centered on the gospel of Christ. In verse 8, Paul says, Remember Jesus, raised from the dead, descended from David. The verb remember is the present progressive idea there that could be interpreted Interpreted, keep on remembering or be remembering Jesus Christ. And uh, as we saw in our pastor's series of message on 1 Timothy, and we saw it again, and we we're seeing it again in 2 Timothy, Paul has a large list of instructions for Timothy and, and a number of problems that Timothy has to deal with in the, in the Ephesian church. And, and in dealing with these problems, 
including false teachings and godless chatter and all this stuff, Timothy could easily get sidetracked from what's most important. So in the middle of this second epistle, Paul says, remember Jesus Christ. And he mentions two things about Christ, raised from the dead and descended from David. And it's interesting, I found it interesting that these two things he also mentions at the very beginning of his, the book of Romans. I read verses 3 and 4 of chapter 1. He talks about God's son who, and I quote, as to his human nature was descended of David and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with, with power to be the son of God by the resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord, end of quote. This is sort of a, a shorthand description of the gospel as Paul sees it. It is basically has to do with who Jesus is and what he did for us, culminating in his resurrection. And so in 2 Timothy, two chapter, uh, second chapter, verse 8, he repeats these two things. Uh, but he has them in reverse order, interestingly. Raised from the dead and descended from David. And then he mentions, somewhat affectionately, I think, this is my gospel. And, and Paul is sort of saying... Keep focused on this gospel while you're dealing with all these other things I've instructed you about, Timothy. I was talking with a few CBCers recently about all the issues we face in trying to understand the Bible. There are so many questions, so many problems of interpretation. Uh, the one on the women in the ministry that uh, our pastor was talking about a couple of weeks ago. And, and you, could get, you could get sidetracked, you could get bogged down and frustrated. And my friends reminded me that we need to keep focused on the gospel. Who Jesus was, what he did for us, and what our response should be. You know, we all have problems in life, but I have a particular problem that maybe some of you people have. I have a problem of the mind. I try to figure it all out, and I can't. Have you ever had that problem? You have questions, you have doubts, like what Brooke was talking about. Prob problems of the Bible, problems with Christianity, problems with your faith. Now, there are ways of dealings with, dealing with these problems one at a time. But in the meantime, the point is we should keep focused on what's most important. Paul says, keep on remembering Jesus Christ. Despite all the problems and the difficulties that we face in life, the important question is, do you really believe that there is a creator God who loves you and me? Or do you think this world is a meaningless accident, a pure choice, a pure chance, rather? Um, if, if you believe that God loves you, then doesn't it make sense that the supreme expression of his love was in Jesus Christ? And even, even if we can't make sense of a lot of things in this life, doesn't the gospel make sense? After all... Where are you going to go for satisfactory answers for the biggest questions in life? Questions about who we are and what we're here for and why we're messed up <laughs> and what the solution to the mess is. Where are we going to go? 
to Buddha, to Muhammad, to Karl Marx, to uh, Sigmund Freud, to Dr. Phil and one of the latest psychological gurus? Or should our response be the one that Peter gave? Remember when Jesus had taught that rather difficult sermon on his body as the heavenly bread? And it said that many disciples called it quits at that point. It's too hard for them. And Jesus turns to the twelve and said, Will you go also? And Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we're convinced that you are the Holy One from God. And so I recommend then that we take Paul's advice to Timothy. Keep on remembering Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. Keep on remembering who he is and what he did for us. Amid all the complexities of living the Christian life, keep your thinking centered on the gospel of Christ. That was my first thought that I gleaned from this passage. The second thought that I gleaned from this passage was consider the cost and reward of serving Christ. Paul says in verses 11 and 12, here is a trustworthy saying, if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will disown us. Bible commentaries think that this saying that Paul quotes may have been a hymn of the early church. It sort of summarizes what Jesus said about counting the cost of being his disciple. The cost, of course, is to die to self. And the reward is to reign with him in the kingdom of God. When you think about it, that's quite a bargain, huh? As a matter of fact, it's the ultimate bargain of the universe, is it not? It reminds me of uh, the oft-quoted saying of Jim Elliot. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep in order, in order to gain what he cannot lose. Paul speaks of this dying to self also in Romans 6, where he explains that, that when we became believers in Christ, we... We were spiritually united with him in his death and we became dead to sin so that we could be raised with Christ to newness of life. And Christ himself speaks of this in terms of self-denial. Deny yourself and taking up your cross. So denying yourself and following Jesus' way. Or as Bonhoeffer says, the cost of discipleship. Now, let me say a few things about this business of self-denial, the Christian idea of self-denial. And I, I'd like to first talk about what I don't think self-denial is, what it is not. The first thing is self-denial is not self-hate. Some people have a problem with a, a love-hate relationship with themselves. Maybe, maybe some of you have that problem, you know. They love themselves, as, as is common with all of us, but they hate themselves for one reason or another. Maybe, maybe they don't like the way they look. They never became at peace with their own personal appearance. Or maybe they've been told all their life that they're no good and they'll never amount to anything. Or maybe they get sick and tired of doing all the stupid things that they keep doing. Now, I can identify with that one. But self-denial is not self-hate. 
Christ taught us to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. We're created in God's image. And therefore, we are to cherish each other, ourselves. We are to value each other in the image of God. We are to take care of ourselves. Self-denial is not self-hate. A second thing I think self-denial is not, it's, it's not being an ascetic. Now, I'm using the word ascetic in a special sense. I'm referring to people who think that being spiritual means denying yourself of all the pleasures and delights of this physical world. You, you probably have heard of some of the ancient Christian ascetics back in the 3rd and 4th century who got away from the world by going out and living in the desert and living all alone, denying themselves of marriage, denying themselves of every, everything but the most basic foods for survival, and, and generally just refusing to engage in any of the delights of this physical world. Now, I don't think this is a biblical understanding of self-denial. Paul, for example, in uh, 1 Timothy 4.4 when he refers to eating various foods, he says, for everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it be received with thanksgiving because it is consecrated by the word of God in prayer. And in 1 Timothy 6, 17, Paul speaks of God who, and I quote, richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Can you imagine that? God actually wants us to enjoy things in this world? <laughs> Maybe that's new for you. I don't know. It's not being an ascetic. And third, it is not denying personal desires and plans. Some Christians think that in order to be spiritual, you have to deny, you have to suppress your own personal desires and plans and do only what other people want you to do. You ever met someone like that? Or, or that you should only do what the Bible talks about which greatly limits things, because the Bible doesn't talk about going to baseball games or, or amusement parks or playing video games or whatever. Um, no. The, God is interested in our desires and plans. In Psalm 37, 4, it says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give, the desi give you the desires of your hearts. And there's, there's that great well-wisher verse of the Bible I usually... Put it in birthday cards. Maybe you've gotten one. <laughs> Psalm 20, verse 4. May he give you the desires of your heart and make all your plans succeed. It's okay to have personal plans and desires. We're created in the image of God. He has desires. He has plans. So self-denial is not self-hate. It's not being an ascetic, and it's not suppressing all your personal desires and plans. If that's not what it is, what is it? I suggest that self-denial, as I understand it from the Bible, is doing the kind of thing that Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane. He went to God with a personal desire. He said, Father, if it be possible, may this cup be removed from me. Nevertheless, not what I will but what you will. Self-denial, then, is coming to God with all your desires and your plans and saying, Lord, this is what I want to do, but I want more to do what you want me to do. 
And so if these desires and plans of mine are not contrary to your moral will, then I pray that you will help me to fulfill these desires and plans in a way that pleases you. And, and if in the process I have to go through hardship and if I have to go through suffering and maybe even persecution, I pray that you will help me to conduct myself in a way that brings glory to you. It seems to me that's what Christian self-denial is. Yeah, I have here the words of a hymn. But every time I sing this hymn, I kind of shake my head. So send I you. Let me read you the words of the first verse. So send I you to labor unrewarded. To serve unpaid, unloved, unsought, unknown, to bear rebuke, to suffer scorn and scoffing, so send I you to toil for me alone. Now, folks, no one can ask me to serve that way. Not my wife, not, not any friend or family member, not the President of the United States. No one is worthy to to ask me or you to serve in that way except Jesus. He is the King of Kings. And the cost of serving Him isn't comparable to the reward that He gives. Reigning with Him in the eternal Kingdom of God. Wow. <laughs> the third thought that I had from this passage is be prepared as a good worker of the word of Christ, verse 15. <clears throat> Do your best to present yourself, says Paul, to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. I'd like to key in on that, the last part of that statement, referring to a worker who correctly handles the word of truth. Now, few of us are called to be pastors or teachers of the church, but I think we all can become good workers of the word of Christ, that is, the scriptures. I think that all believers and followers of Christ should try to improve their knowledge and their ability to handle the word of God. Let me, let me make a few suggestions about becoming good students of the Bible. Um, I'm not talking about going to Bible school or going to seminary. I'm talking about something that every Christian can do. And this involves the head and the heart. The head part, I suggest that in your Bible study, in your Bible reading, you use good biblical helps. Um, and I, list, I listed here three kinds of biblical helps. There are many, but these three. The first is the Bible dictionary. I don't know whether you have a good Bible dictionary or not. If you don't, get... Get your fa a family member to buy one for you for, for a birthday present or something. There are good one-volume Bible dictionaries, and they help you to understand biblical terms, whether it's geographical terms or, or um, personal names or ancient customs that are obscure, might not. Uh, how many of you know what a denarius is, for example? A denarius, a couple of you. You think it has to do with money, uh, an ancient coin, that sort of thing. How many of you know what an Ebenezer is? 
It's not the first name of Scrooge in the Christmas Carol, no. I remember singing as a child. Um, Hitherto I raise, what, no. Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I've come. And I scratch my head and say, what in the world's an Ebenezer? Well, look it up in a Bible dictionary. The book of the Revelation, yeah, I'm about to get to that. The book of Revelation warns the church against the Nicolaitans. Not the Nickelodeons, but, <laughs> but the Nicolaitans. What are they? Uh, yeah, look it up in the Bible dictionary. The second thing, um, Bible commentaries. As you know, Bible scholars have written books that comment on the Bible verse by verse and chapter by chapter. And some of these are four and 500 page volumes that deal with a single book in the Bible. And there are a series of commentaries, you know, 10, 12, 15 books that cover every verse in the Bible, every book in the Bible. And uh, I was going to suggest that you go back there to the library (laughs) to the library and, and look at some of these. Uh, but uh, as some of you know, they had a cleaning out yesterday to prepare for the construction. So all the library is back there in that uh, uh, trailer. Um, but they did save out a few commentary series that are in the pastor's study. So you can always consult them. If you, if you know of a book that's in our library, I think it might be in our library, or something in our library that you really desperately need to get to, see Judd McClure, our, li- our librarian. And does everybody know that we do have a church? We not only have a church library, maybe some of you didn't know that, but we have a church librarian, and he can ca- take you to the trailer and help you to find it. <laughs> but, but at any rate, my, my suggestion is this. When, in your own personal Bible study, Uh, Bible reading, daily Bible reading. You might be working your way through a a book, a chapter a day or something like that, like Book of Mark or Gospel or one of Paul's epistles or one of the prophetic books or whatever. Why not go to Dick's office and say, I'd like a commentary on the the Book of Micah or or the Gospel of Mark or something so that you can have it next to you when you're reading the Bible, and then as questions arise, gee, I wonder what that means. You know, look it up verse by verse where it is. And maybe in a, a paragraph or two of reading, the whole thing will become clear for you. Uh, okay, Bible commentaries. You know, commentaries give you all those grammatical details about the words, of the historical background of the, of the book that's written uh, the, the theological perspective of the writer, of the, all, those, all those biblical goodies that our pastor gives us faithfully and helpfully if Sunday after Sunday. It can be yours, you see. Consult these things. So if you want some advice on what commentaries to read, see the pastor, or you can see me too, but he'll probably give you more up-to-date information than this retired teacher has. Okay, and the third one is... A, Bible doctrine books. In addition to verse-by-verse commentaries, there are books that deal with the overall teachings of the Bible in in an orderly and systematic way. Some of these books are called systematic theologies, and some of the great uh, theologians of the church have written these books. And of course, none of 
None of the writers are infallible, but we're talking about biblical helps. And unless you think you know enough that you don't need any help in understanding the teachings of the Bible, I suggest that you avail yourself of some of these great works. Let, let the pastors and teachers of the church of the past also be your pastor and teacher, not just Pastor Dick. Matter of fact, you can check up on him that way. See? <laughs> and finally, there is, there is the heart aspect of being prepared as a good worker of Christ's word. And this, I think, involves largely prayer. And of course, daily personal prayer is vital. And we just went through last weekend this 24-hour uh, prayer in which you were given opportunity to come and pray alone uh, in creative ways. But in addition to that, I suggest that you take advantage of the many small groups in this church who emphasize group prayer as part of their purpose. I myself like to go as much as I can to the Friday night uh, prayer group that uh, McClure's have because I feel that I need to be nurtured in prayer and group prayer helps me with that. If I, if I, if I miss group prayer, after a while I, I tend to get neglectful of private prayer myself. And so I feel the need to, to, uh, to, to be spiritually nurtured by group prayer. And there are many small groups in CBC that have prayer as an emphasis, as part of their purpose. The, the southern and northern scattered group, uh, church groups, the women to women, the women on the way home, the family connections, uh, the men's Bible study, and so forth. Also, you're invited... Uh, nine o'clock to se uh, several people in the pastor's study pray, pray for the church and uh, service in the Sunday school uh, classes uh, each Sunday. And then, of course, once a month, aha, we have this uh, prayer meeting for all adults of the church at 11 o'clock, uh, and that happens to be today, so we invite all of you to that. So you're part of a praying church. And if you happen not to be one of, with one of these groups right now, I, I recommend that you avail yourself of the opportunities uh, the church provides for nurturing us in our prayer life. And a lot of these groups also do Bible study so they can help the head part of your preparation. So through these means and helps then, our heads and our hearts are, are tuned to be better prepared as good workers of the word of Christ. That's it. Let's pray. <laughs> Lord Jesus, we ask that you would help us love you more. That, uh, that you would nurture in us your love for you and for others through our um, through our attuning our heads and our hearts to you through prayer and Bible study. We pray these things in your name. Amen.